At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all please be seated and good morning. Happy All Saints Sunday. This past week as I was getting ready to preach to talk about All Saints Sunday, I read a very interesting article. It was online and the article said this, quote, I served, uh, by the way, it was written by a former army chaplain, and it says this, quote, I served during Operation Iraqi Freedom, and part of my responsibilities were planning and executing in-theater memorial services. Now, every soldier that dies receives a stateside memorial service, but we also perform separate memorials in theater, that is, in the area of operations, to help ourselves process the loss and say goodbye. I often had to withhold my own grief as I planned the memorial service. One of the most affecting moments in the service comes when the first sergeant of the, of the soldiers, the deceased soldiers' company, stands up and proceeds to take a roll call. Side note, we're going to take a roll call later in this service in just a few minutes. One of the most affecting moments comes when the first sergeant for the, dis- for the departed soldier's company stands up and proceeds to take a roll call. They'll call out the name of a soldier in the unit who will stand up at their seat and yell, Here, first sergeant. Another name is called out. And again, the response, Here, first sergeant. This continues for a few more names, a few more calls and responses before the first sergeant calls out the name of the deceased soldier. Silence. Their name is called out again, and still there is silence. Their name is called out for a third time, after which their first sergeant sits down while the silence lingers, close quote. What a sobering story. What a haunting image. It vividly shows the reality of losing a loved one. And yet, and yet as compelling and vivid as that image is, is that all there is? When it comes to our departed loved ones, is that all there is? Is that all that we can say that they're gone and that we're hurting and that a part of us is missing? A 
according to Revelation 7 this morning, because that's a good question, but according to Revelation 7 this morning, the answer to that question is actually no. The answer is there is so much more that we can say. In that scene that we heard from August, Revelation 7, uh, in that scene, we do not find an image simply of sorrow and loss. Thinking about this table, my sermon in many ways is about this table, but my sermon is also about joy. And in that scene from the great throne room of heaven that we heard, we don't find an image simply of sorrow and loss. What we find is an image of joy. This glorious scene in the throne room of heaven in which a multitude of saints from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people is gathered around the throne room of God. On this All Saints 2023, let me ask you, dear friends, what are these saints in Revelation 7? What are they doing? What are they doing? What are these saints doing? They're praising. They're singing. They're worshiping. But most of all today, they are rejoicing. They are rejoicing, dearly beloved, you too, I too can experience this same joy. It is available to us. It is available to you right here, right now. Not simply way off into the future, only to be experienced after you die and go to heaven. No, right now. So you see, we're talking, I'm talking at this specific moment, I'm talking about time, time. When I say that you can have this joy now, I am talking about time or temporality. What do I mean? Well, consider the Beatitudes this morning. Consider the, the gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, often called the Beatitudes. Consider the Beatitudes this morning in Matthew's gospel. This past week, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before in the Beatitudes. It's crazy how you can read the Bible and bam, something that you've never seen in the many decades of your life up till now hit you like a ton of bricks. And what I noticed this last week has to do specifically about time. Or in particular, it has to do with tense. To speak grammatically, there's something weird and interesting in the Beatitudes going on with tense, verb tense, you know, past tense, present tense, future tense. See, if you look at all the verbs in the Beatitudes, and you can look at them right now because they are in your service leaflet, if you look at the verbs in the Beatitudes this morning, almost all of them, almost all nine of the blesseds, almost all those verbs are future tense, right? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Future tense. Blessed are the mournful, for they will be comforted. Future tense. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Future tense. See, lots of future tense verbs. But there is an exception. The exception has to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, or to use Matthew's language, the kingdom of heaven, but they're the same thing. Two times here in the Beatitude, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven, and guess what? Both 
times the verb is in the present tense. Look with me at the first and eighth beatitude this morning. They both speak of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven present tense. Hmm. Blessed are the persecuted down at the bottom for theirs is the kingdom of heaven present tense. So dear friends, do you see the dominant tense used here by Jesus in the Beatitudes is the future tense. But when he mentions the kingdom of God, he speaks in the present. Apparently, there's something about the kingdom of God. It's not simply a future reality. It's not way off and far away, the object of a faint and distant hope. No, it's present. It's close by. It's very near to you. It is right here for the taking, for the receiving, right here, right now. I am reminded of the beginning of Mark's gospel, the very first statement to roll off of Jesus' tongue, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1.14. Or St. Luke, who looks at his disciples at one point, Jesus does, and says, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. Where is this kingdom of God? Is it far away? No, the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, is right here, right now, present tense. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is, and because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here with us. So the kingdom of God is right here, right now, present tense. Put it another way. What is all saints about? Well, so many things, right? But this morning, what I want to say to you is that All Saints is about a kingdom, the kingdom of saints, the kingdom of heaven, the saints. They are here with us, surrounding us in a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12, 1. And so that's my first point this morning. Now, I don't usually have three-point sermons. This one's a little bit different, but that is my first point this morning. It is about when, the when of the kingdom. When is the kingdom? It is right now. Next, let us consider the who, not just the when of the kingdom, but the who. Who is the kingdom? Now, in Revelation 7, that Revelation passage, we see this great throng of witnesses, do we not, from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. When John shows us this massive sea of people, now there's a lot of people on the ofrenda this morning, but multiply it by a Googleplex, right? And that's what John is showing us, the writer of the book of Revelation. He's showing us this massive sea of people. He is showing us the saints. He's giving us a picture of all the saints. Think about your departed loved ones. They are there. They are there in that great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of saints gathered around the throne, worshiping in joy. But friends, who? Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping the king. They are worshiping the king seated on the throne. Now, throughout history, there have been some very bad kings. Caligula comes to my mind. He was horrible. The torture, 
the greed, the ruthlessness. But of course, not all kings, not all monarchs, not all queens are like Caligula, right? I mean, Europe has had some good monarchs, some good kings and queens. I would put Queen Elizabeth I near the top of that list. But even the best king or queen, can they give you joy? Now, they can give you some stuff, right? I mean, when a great monarch triumphs, it's pretty great, right? I mean, you might experience patriotism. You might experience some kind of relief. You might experience, experience an improved stock portfolio. All of that is good. But look at Revelation 7. This king is not giving the people patriotism. This king is not giving them financial prosperity. No, he's giving them something much deeper than that. He is giving them joy. See, an ordinary king, queen, even a very good one, cannot grant joy. Do you realize that we live in a, an, an economy, a culture in which people are willing to pay hundreds of thousand dollars to find happiness, to find peace, to find joy? Even the best king or queen cannot grant joy. For that, the king must be a lamb, L-A-M-B. For that, for joy, to grant joy to their people, to his people, to our people, the king, the monarch, must be a lamb. Who is the one seated on this royal throne in Revelation 7? It is no ordinary king. This is the lamb, the Agnus Dei. A few lines later, John, the writer of Revelation, will call this one the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. This lamb, he was voluntarily slain. He was voluntarily sacrificed. Where is this joy coming from in Revelation 7? It's coming from his sacrifice. It's coming from his blood. These worshipers, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb, verse 14. This king who creates joy, he is not a tutor, a tutor or a Windsor. This king is a lamb. Why a lamb? Let me remind you of what you already know. That's, that's why we go to church every Sunday, so that we can be reminded of what we already know. After a week of God knows what has flown in your face and come your way and you forget, we come to church so, so that we might be reminded of what we already know. So let me remind you of what you already know. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of the lamb which atoned for the sins of the people, the pure, spotless lamb whose blood had to be shed. It had to be shed to clean the people, to clean them, to clean us, and to reconnect them to God. We call this atonement, which can also be sort of translated as at-one-ment. Atonement. Friends, that can create joy. I don't care if you're gay or straight, trans or cis, brown or white, rich or poor, this blood of the lamb, that can create joy. The who of the kingdom is the lamb who was slain. This lamb, together with those who are made clean, made whole, W-H-O-L-E, 
made one with God. Okay, let's review. When is the kingdom? It is right now. Who is the kingdom? The lamb, together with the saints that he has saved. Last question, how? The how of the kingdom. How is the kingdom? How can we experience it? The same way that they are. The same way that they are. The same way that the saints around the throne room of God in Revelation 7 are. Look at this great throng of the saints. They are worshiping the lamb. They are crying out in a loud voice to the lamb, verse 10. They are falling on their faces before the lamb, verse 11. They are singing to the lamb, verse 12. In short, they are worshiping the lamb, worshiping with all their hearts. On this Sunday after our stewardship campaign is over, they are worshiping with all their lives. Abraham Lincoln was a good president. Queen Elizabeth was a good queen. We all have some blind spots. But no one in their right mind would have worshipped them. With good reason. Abe Lincoln cannot wash your robes and make them white with his blood. Queen Elizabeth cannot restore a broken sinner to her her unity, restoring her to unity with God. For that, the ruler must be a lamb. For that, the king must be slain and, yes, sacrificed. And, dear friends, I want to close like this. Think of your departed loved ones. Some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you have lost a child. I'm thinking about my mom, Rosemary. Just think of them. What are they doing right now? Revelation 7 tells us they are worshiping the Lamb. Guess what? We can join them. We can join them. We can join them in the same worship. This is why I'm a liturgical Christian. We can join them in the same worship. We can join them in the same liturgy of the Lamb, the same liturgy of heaven. When we worship the land, we are stitched and woven. Those are some great participles. Stitched comes up in the collect this morning. Woven, reweaving the fabric. The prayer shawls wear Sarah and Jen that we're about to bless this morning. And Patsy, I think, made one last week. I can't remember. Sorry. Stitching, weaving. Reweaving the fabric, weaving prayer shawls. Are they woven or not? Are they, what are they? Knitted, ah, same thing, all right? Stitched and woven and knitted together with all the saints. We are stitched together, dear friends, with Ralph Hauser and Polly Luttrell. We are stitched together with Mary Parker. We are stitched together. When we worship the Lamb, we are stitched together with St. Kateri Tekakwitha, the first Catholic saint of the American native people, baptized as Catherine and informally known, informally, informally, informally known as Lily of the Mohawks, who died on April 17, 1680. We are stitched together with Johnny Cash, the man in black. We are stitched together with Mother Teresa. We are stitched and woven and, yes, knitted together with William Stringfellow, an Episcopalian attorney in New York City in the 1960s who advocated for human rights and was himself gay long before that was a thing or acceptable. Stitched together with W.H. Auden and William Blake. Stitched together, woven together with Richard the younger brother of one of our parents at St. George's Episcopal School, 
who died tragically this past week. Stitched together with Father John Price. Stitched together with your departed loved ones. Stitched together with so many saints beyond number on and on and on. They are stitched and woven together with us in the worship of the Lamb on the throne, stitched together in the Lamb that was slain. Let us join them in this liturgy of the Lamb. Let us join them in the liturgy of heaven. See? Joy. Joy. Tears, yes. Sorrow, yes. But in it all, through it all, deeper than it all, joy. I want to close with a prayer from the burial rite in the Book of Common Prayer. The Lord be with you. O God, the King of saints, we praise and glorify your holy name for all of your servants who have finished their course in your faith and fear. For the blessed Virgin Mary, for the holy patriarchs and prophets and apostles and martyrs, and for all your other righteous servants known to us and unknown, and we pray that encouraged by their examples, aided by their prayers, and strengthened by their fellowship, we may also be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light through the merits of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.